Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash findadoc. On this Valentine's Day, we're all seeing many depictions of the red Valentine's Day heart. But what about our real hearts, the one that pumps blood to all parts of our body? Not to put a damper on your Valentine's Day, but about 697,000 people die of heart disease in the U.S. every year. That's one in five deaths. Coronary heart disease is the most common type of heart disease, killing approximately 380,000 people annually. Every year, about 805,000 Americans have a heart attack. Those numbers are all from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. So while you're thinking about hearts today, let's talk about heart health. Joining us on The Spark is Dr. Rianne Davies, an interventional cardiologist from Wellspan York Hospital. Dr. Davies, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I want to ask a quick question. What is an interventional cardiologist? Great question. So actually, we're the ones who open up those heart arteries when you come in uh, with a heart attack where the vessel itself acutely closes um, and we get a stent in there and keep the blood flowing to the heart muscle. Alternatively, we do a bunch of other uh, procedures. I specialize in arteries that are 100% blocked for at least a three-month duration, sometimes as many as several decades, and I get those ones open. Alternatively, we can fix heart valves, we can close holes or defects in the heart, uh, so we can do a, a bunch of different procedures. So there are arteries that are blocked for longer than three months? I mean, this sounds like, this is kind of a surprise to me, because I, I thought that if an artery was blocked, there would be symptoms and maybe even possibly worse. Yes, that's exactly it. So many patients do have symptoms. They just don't necessarily realize it. And that that in, uh, makes the job that much more challenging. So typical symptoms of blockages that are over a longer duration uh, tend to be shortness of breath and tiredness, not so much that chest pain. The chest pain is more prevalent in patients that have acute blockage, blockages that occur maybe in minutes to hours before they actually present to the emergency room. Hmm. Those numbers that I you know, listed in the introduction are, are just astounding. But yeah. I almost get the sense that we kind of take them for granted, or at least don't do our utmost to maintain a healthy heart. Is yeah. that an accurate observation? Yes, unfortunately. You know, in our modern society, we're always on the go, right? You're running from point A to point B and hopefully in between grabbing some food. And unfortunately, our diet, our exercise, our relaxation moments, you know, these are all kind of hindered by our crazy, busy, hectic days. But it's important to kind of step back once in a while before things get out of control and realize the importance that all of that does play in our heart health. Again, an observation, is it that people have this sense of, oh, it won't happen to me, I can eat, I can maybe not exercise as much as I, I should, or it just won't happen to me, I'm not showing any symptoms. 
Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard part, you know, uh, it's easy to tell people, yeah, you should exercise 30 minutes a day, three to five days a week, you should eat fruits and vegetables, but patients often feel fine. So why do they have to worry, you know, but it, it really comes down to what's your risks, you know, what, how old are you? Are you female? Are you going through menopause? Did you have gestational diabetes? Do you have diabetes? Um, do you keep your blood pressure under control? There's so many things that play a role in in causing these blockages in heart arteries to occur. So what is a healthy heart? How would you define a healthy heart? That's a great question. And I think we're still trying to figure all that sort of information out. But in reality, it's how we how we live our everyday, you know, that the healthier we eat, the more active we are, the more we're in tune with our body and aware of things are changing. Those are all ways that we can keep our heart healthy. Additionally, you know, taking time to go for a walk, to meditate, to, to find ways to relieve stress is super important. Keeping, you know, some time between you and a stressful job, whether that's like just putting your phone away for 30 minutes a day, you know, we're always on the go and it's just trying to find ways to take a break, take a breath and relax. Is a heart attack the result of uh, coronary heart disease, uh, th these blockages that you're talking about, or is that just, uh, you know, another part of heart disease? That's a great question. So there's different types of heart attacks, to be honest. Um, heart attacks that are commonly those that make us go to the emergency room are, are more of the typical ones uh, that you may think about when you see, you know, on the television show, somebody grabs their chest and says there's an elephant on it. That's more typical for those kind of heart attacks where we have an acute uh, closure of one of the blood vessels that's supplying blood to our heart. Alternatively, we can have stress-induced heart attacks where, you know, we have life um, stressors that can get overwhelming. And as a result, um, we can get dissections or tears in our heart arteries that are spontaneous. Alternatively, we can get stress-induced cardiomyopathies where the squeeze or the function of the heart is uh, acutely decreased. And so we can start to have swelling, shortness of breath, those sorts of things. I'm curious, uh, when you describe some of the things that you you just did as, as far as stress goes and that kind of thing, let's face it that uh, our worlds have been different over the last three years because of the COVID pandemic. Aside from long-term COVID, and we can talk about that too, but have you seen more people with heart disease or heart attacks or heart problems as a result of the stresses, some of the other uh, maybe symptoms or factors involved with COVID or related to COVID? Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of patients through the height of COVID, you know, were scared, frankly, to go to the hospital and be seen because they didn't want to risk getting COVID or getting around other patients that were sick with COVID. Uh, and as a result, many of them didn't go for routine follow-up care. And uh, we see patients with more advanced uh, heart disease now than maybe we would have a few years ago when getting care was a little bit easier and not so scary. Now that we're coming out of the height of it all, it, it does seem to be calming down a little bit again, but still there's, there's a fear factor in there of, I don't want to go to the hospital one, because I don't want to find out sometimes I have a heart problem or two. Uh, just from not being screened or evaluated, things have progressed and is in an advanced stage by the time they are seen. Have you seen patients that uh, their hearts have imp been impacted by uh, long-term COVID? 
So there are certainly patients out there that have what we call uh, long hauler syndrome, you know, from the COVID where some Sometimes they feel the rhythm of their heart is abnormal. They have palpitations. They have this chronic feeling of shortness of breath. Uh, sometimes they get some discomforts in the chest from musculoskeletal or inflammation or changes like this. So all of that can actually make diagnosing heart disease from a blockage a little bit more challenging. But then again, we can do stress testing. We can, there's several different modalities that we can really look at those heart arteries to verify whether it's coming from a result of having COVID in the past versus something new or something different with a blockage or more along those lines. One of the reasons that I uh, wanted to talk to you during this Heart Health Month, February being Heart Health Month, is that um, many people miss the warning signs of uh, heart disease or an oncoming heart attack. And one of the more specific things we wanted to talk about was the difference between men and women. Let's talk yeah. about uh, both. Uh, first of all, what are the typical symptoms for a man that is suffering a heart attack? You know, most men present very much what you would expect. You know, they have this chest discomfort, tightness in their chest, uh, chest pain, feelings that something's on their chest or an elf. They often will say an elephant's on my chest or something very heavy is on my chest. They sometimes will get radiation up to the jaw or into their back, but that's that's a typical presentation for a man. You know, you will always find one one or two out there that have a little bit of an atypical presentation, but the classically, that's how most men present. What about women? Alternatively, yes. So women, we are a little bit more vague. Uh, sometimes women can just feel weakened or tired. They feel that maybe something just is off today, but they can't really pinpoint it. Um, sometimes it, it's they're lightheaded. They may have some neck discomfort. Um, they may get some radiation into their shoulders or, or down one of their arms, something a little bit more vague that it's not quite as classic. So even if they do present to the emergency room, they may not be as quickly evaluated for heart disease as they may be for indigestion or anxiety or something like this. You said radiation, that it radiates down an arm or in a neck. Yeah. What do you mean by radiates? So some patients will describe it as like a numbness sensation down their arms. Typically, it's the left arm. Alternatively, sometimes they can have pins and needles or um, a, just an, a, a unique sensation going down, starting kind of at the shoulder. Some people feel it in the elbow. It's just uh, radiation. It's kind of how the, the nerves are firing across the heart. And it's just how your body senses that discomfort. And as a result, we get this quote unquote radiation sensation or pain somewhere not over top or right on our hearts. You mentioned that uh, sometimes women, I don't know whether misdiagnosed is the word, but maybe some symptoms are, are missed that uh, they're identified as anxiety or uh, indigestion or something like that. Are there symptoms that women miss or maybe even their doctors miss uh, when a woman is having a heart attack? Unfortunately, this is that is the case. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes Women are just not treated um, as aggressively as men when they present with these kind of abnormal symptoms, and they're a little bit harder to pinpoint whether it is coming from the heart or something else. So sometimes there's a delay in treatment as a result of a delay in diagnosis. And it's, it's one that I would say you need to be your own advocate. If you feel that something is just not right, 
it's better to be seen, evaluated, discuss, hey, what's my risk for heart disease? Like, I, is there a potential that this radiated pain or this discomfort in my neck that I'm having could be my heart? It's just asking the, the question why to get an answer more so than just kind of being misdiagnosed or delayed in your diagnosis. Something that uh, I think we all have experienced when we've called our doctor's office or a hospital or almost any kind of medical facility is, you know, we hear a recording asking whether you're having chest pains. Now, Mm -hmm. what you just described, there are women who are suffering heart attacks who haven't or who aren't having chest pain. So should that uh, recording maybe be changed somewhat? You know, you bring up an excellent point, and it is something that um, we're trying to figure out the best way to streamline kind of the treatment of all patients who present with heart disease or heart attacks, and um, that certainly is a very valid point. Hmm. Uh, What would you, and I'm going to ask you to imagine here, but what would that recording sound like? Well, I know a lot of people would say, we wish we could talk to a real person, but that's not the world today. So if you do hear that recording, what what do you think it, it, it should sound like? Chest pain, shortness of breath, tiredness. Those are the three big symptom changes that patients would experience. And I think you know, sometimes the shortness of breath and tiredness could certainly be attributed to other things, but the heart being the, I might be a little biased in saying this, but the most important part of the body, you know, in in an acute situation that if you're feeling these symptoms, it's reasonable and very reasonable to go be evaluated for them. And I would urge you to, if you can't get in touch with somebody directly on the phone at that point, go into an urgent care, an emergency room, or, um, a direct contact that you may have at the hospital. Mm. Dr. Davies, something you mentioned just before the break, and well, you've talked about it a couple times today, is shortness of breath. Now, we know weight, obesity in particular, is a risk factor for heart disease. I'm sure there are people who have experienced being out of breath who are thinking, oh, it's just because of my weight. Is it because of their weight or could it be because of their heart or both? They could certainly be because of their their weight, but more importantly, you always want to make sure it's not because of the heart. And um, like we had mentioned earlier, there's ways to really evaluate, is the shortness of breath coming from my heart or is it coming from my lungs or the lack of activity that I've been doing recently or just my weight in general? Um, and we could do stress testing. We can look at your heart arteries with CT scans. We can physically do what I do every day and go into the heart arteries and take a look at them with contrast. Um, and see if there are, in fact, any blockages, and then determine what the next best step would be after that. Let's go back to talking about uh, heart disease in women and heart attacks in particular. Uh, Women of any age or women who are just past menopause? I ask that question because I've noticed that there are some markers along the way over the age of 50, women who have lived through menopause, who have experienced menopause, uh, are those more ri- at women more at risk or just what? Certainly. So it, it all comes down to ge- what our genetics are, first of all. What did our family pass on to us? What kind of lifestyle did we live? Uh, additionally, during if we were pregnant, uh, did we have any issues during our pregnancy, like gestational diabetes or preeclampsia, anything that may have made that pregnancy a little bit more complicated? 
And then coming out of our our, um, 30s, 40s into our menopause years, sometimes 50s, 60s, our hormones are changing yet again. And that can increase our risk of uh, coronary disease developing. Um, So that can play a role into the development of heart arteries that are blockages in them. So there's many things along the way that women are just at increased risk of developing heart disease. And unfortunately, women are very underrepresented in a lot of our clinical trials and our data because women often present late or when they do present or misdiagnosed or or are too advanced to be involved in clinical trials when they actually get the diagnosis because of it being delayed and uh, maybe there are other comorbidities. So there's a lot of... uh, difficulty around um, the treatment and the diagnosis of females, but there's so many more risk factors that females actually have for the development of heart disease. The first thing you said when I asked that question was about genetics. And mm-hmm. again, when we've been to the doctor and we're asked to fill out the forms about uh, medical history, health history, one of the first questions we're asked, or one of the most important questions, is if we've had a family member that has suffered from heart disease. How important yes. are genetics when it comes to heart disease? They're very important in, in many aspects of it, because if your mother or your father had heart disease that developed very early, say they had their first heart attack in their 40s or 50s, the risk that you develop heart disease at a similar age is heightened. Um with that is if you've ever smoked or you've um, not had the best of diet and you maybe didn't exercise much, all of these can contribute to early coronary disease for yourself. Mm. But just because a parent had, uh, you know, a bad heart or suffered from uh, heart disease does not guarantee that you're going to. Is that no. correct? That is correct. Yes. Um, but with that being said, I think if it is something that runs in your family, getting uh, screened, getting your cholesterol checked, just making sure that you're having that conversation with your primary care physician or, or asking for a referral to a cardiologist is, I would recommend it or it's advised. Cholesterol. What is cholesterol? So we have different types of cholesterol in our body. We have good cholesterol and we have bad cholesterol. That's kind of the simple way of looking at it. Now, the good cholesterol, also referred to as HDL, kind of helps us fight off the the bad um, development of bad blockages in our heart arteries. Alternatively, the bad cholesterol or the LDL uh, can create a likelihood for increased risk for blockages to develop. Um, With that being said, that's also can be something that's... uh, played in part by our genetics and family history. If our parents had high cholesterol or high lipids, the likelihood that we'll also have that is heightened. What role does obesity play today? I mean, we hear so much about childhood obesity, but let's face it, there are many, many Americans who are probably over a weight they should be. Yeah, obesity is hard. You know, we the American diet has not always been uh, the best diet, you know, and we often have large portion sizes that can contribute to um, obesity at a young age. And that plays a large role on not only the heart, but our, our, our joints, our activity level, our ability to just kind of be as healthy as we can be. Um, our weight really does and can limit us and create more problems down the road. Um, for an increased risk of heart disease. 
Dr. Davies, we only have about two minutes left. I want to thank you very much. A lot of this has been Heart Health 101, and I think it's a good thing to remind people of uh, how to maintain a healthy heart. Uh, so what can we do to make sure our hearts are healthy? I mean, you've touched on all these things, but uh, if a patient was sitting in front of you, what would you say? You, you have to be your own advocate and you have to um, see how you how do you feel on a regular day to day basis? Are you doing the activities today uh, that you were able to do a year ago or have you slowly um, deconditioned yourself? I would advocate that eating a heart healthy diet, meaning high in fruits and vegetables and low in saturated fats is important exercising 30 minutes a day, three to five days a week is really important. Finding ways to relieve stress. That's a big, a big problem for a lot of people. And that can be as simple as just going for a walk out in the fresh air, going on a walk on a treadmill, doing some yoga or meditating, and most importantly, not smoking or doing uh, any using any sort of tobacco products. You, there are fewer people who smoke today, but still a lot of people who do smoke. Uh, how much of a factor is smoking in heart disease? It, it's a large factor. You know, the nicotine can really um, cause a lot of inflammation and issues for you down the road. Not only does it hurt our lungs and, and potentially cause issues with other people through secondhand smoke, but it is a big risk factor for acute plaque ruptures or acute heart attacks. Dr. Rianne Davies is an interventional cardiologist from Wellspan York Hospital. Dr. Davies, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.